welcome to the Conscious Leadership Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss the how-to of creating conscious leadership for business, life and the world. With ordinary people doing extraordinary things and being truly in control of their own health, wealth and happiness. Knowledge plus action with a plan creates magical results. Introducing your host, Julie Hogbin, author, international speaker, mentor, disruptor, and creator of Conscious Leadership, and property investor living in the UK. Good morning, Conscious Leadership podcast listeners. Uh, Julie Hogbin here. I'm here with Louise Reynolds, and we're actually sitting in the St. James Suite in Duke's Hotel in Piccadilly. And we're here because immediately after this interview, Louise is going into a property meeting. Mm -hmm. I'm here in this hotel. I'm not. I'm going home to finish my to-do list before I fly off to Portugal for a weekend. But just to let you as listeners know that we're both in property. We both do completely different things. We've both actually come from a consultancy background Mm -hmm. um, initially. So both women have changed their lives completely. Yes. Absolutely completely. And I'm interviewing Louise to hear her story so that you can hear her story because part of what conscious leadership is around is making the decision to do the things that you need to do to change your life, to change whatever it is that's going on for you to get to a different place. Yeah. So, Louise, welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Good. So... Tell me what you do and who you are and how you've got to where you are. Because yeah. I know you was a management consultant. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as you say, we're both in, in property. So um, I'm a landlord. I've yep. got investment property in uh, Poland, uh, unusually, wow. in Krakow and um, in the UK. And that's kind of was the start of our property journey. And I run a boutique property investment consultancy called Property Venture. So I help entrepreneurs and expats invest in property. And that's in the UK and key places in continental Europe. Obviously, Poland's one of those, uh, but Spain, France. So my property journey has been personal investment and setting up a business to help others as well. Okay. So um, interestingly, for those listeners that are interested in property or are in property, You've actually done one of the things that most trainers in the business tell you not to do, which is invest abroad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when I so I set up my business in 2007, and that's when uh, my husband and I were looking at making our first um, investment abroad. And uh, yes, I know a lot of people <laughs> talk about us. We've owned the Bytelet in Krakow now for 11 or so years, and it's been oh, very okay. successful. Fabulous. I think the difference has been um, because I look at these deals for clients, I do, do due diligence on them for clients. Yeah. Yeah. And in the early stages of my business, this particular deal came across my desk. I did due diligence on it checked out the uh, developer, went over, checked out the area, looked at the numbers, looked at the comparison. You know, I did, did all the... Yeah, the, everything the, we're the, supposed to do, do before we yeah. get our hard-earned money into something. Yeah, and it's worked. I think some of the stories that I hear about people yeah. investing abroad, it's a bit like someone going into a sweet shop, getting very excited, <laughs> seeing something that they really, really yeah. like and just handing over their money. And my understanding is the stories I've heard... They were in the very early days of yeah. their careers of investment. And, you know, who hasn't gone into a sweet shop and got excited and parted with cash? Chocolate. Yeah. Um, when you do that in property, it can yeah. get problematic. But I think I took a slightly different approach. And, yes, it is also unusual because it was our first investment property. And at the time I looked in the UK, we were getting caught up a little bit in the um, 2012 London Olympics frenzy thinking, oh, property prices in Stratford, you know, they're going to go up with the Olympics coming to the UK, you know, 2007. That's the time that... Um, well, 2007 was just before the crash, wasn't it, yeah. in the UK? Yeah, yeah. Well, this was before that. So, so looking, prices were at their peak Yeah, they were, they were coming up for that, but obviously yeah, okay. no one knew that at the time. So in a way, we were quite fortunate not to have invested in the yeah. Stratford area. Because when I went and had a look around, I was thinking, you know what? The price is already pretty high. It feels like the Olympics premium has already built in, been built into the pricing. And that's what put us off. And that's what actually made us think, well, you know what? There's this deal in Poland. It stacks. It looks good. There's a, an exit strategy, which 
you know, the local um, white-collar workers in Poland could easily afford to buy it for when we wanted to come and sell. We weren't reliant on the overseas um, international market for selling it. It's not a big luxury pad. It's for office workers to live in because it's, yeah, it's okay. near industry and office. So it stacked up, and that was our actually first our actual first investment. So it's an unusual route, but it's worked for us, and it actually gave us more confidence then to go on and invest in the UK. Isn't it interesting? So I, you've just said something about um, being given more confidence to invest in the UK by investing in another country first, which if you think about a lot of people, they will be so much less confident. Mm. I mean, lots of people are not confident in a market they know where they can speak the language, Yeah. let alone investing in another country where... I haven't asked you yet whether you can speak Polish or any Polish. No. Because I know you can speak French. But <laughs> I can speak French, yeah. Yeah. So you're investing in another country that is a completely different culture, mm-hmm. that you can't speak the language, mm-hmm. and yet it felt safer. I think it's because I was kind of following my own advice in that we got to know the developer and the agent. I had a very good lawyer. Now, that's the thing with investing in continental Europe. There is a very different buying process. Yes which yeah. is notarised, yeah. and they've all got their different quirks, but, but in essence, it's a very different um, process to buying in the UK. And in the UK, people are used to using a lawyer, but yeah. then as soon as people go to buy in continental Europe, whatever country it might be, because it's a notarised process, and a notary is a specialist lawyer you know, with government authority, sort of special legal powers, people think, well, we've already got a legal person involved in the form of a notary. We don't need a lawyer. And we had both. So our lawyer was um, on top of stuff, bilingual, and just went through everything with us so that we knew we could ask all those kind of questions. The thing is, with a notary, it's only at the point of purchase do you get to meet the notary, and they don't usually speak English. Um, And whilst you have a translator, an official translator, sworn translator there, which is a legal requirement, certainly in Poland... You know, it's all on the day. Really, you want to be comfortable with the deal before yes. you're getting yeah, signing absolutely. anything yeah, on the day. Yeah, you can't. You can't. I'm sure people do. Mm. My head says you have to be really comfortable on the day you're signing because at that point you're totally, completely, 100% committed to whatever it is you're doing. You have to be confident and comfortable at that point. It's very interesting because I know in um, in the UK, I'm just trying to think what it was for. I had to get a notar. I had to be notarised for something. And trying to find a notary in the UK is actually really quite difficult. Mm. There's only a few because our whole system, um, only for probably some very ancient laws that are still, you know, translate. And I'm trying to think what it was for. We don't need notaries anymore mm. in the UK. Yeah. Which is very interesting because it's a completely different process. Yes. Um, I could talk to you all day about property and I know we're going to come back to it because I know you, we, I was talking to you about speaking French earlier and, and currently what you're doing, which I know you were doing then and you're still doing now. But I know I'm really interested to talk to you about what it was. So conscious leadership is around making the decisions that allow us to do the thing that we need to do, want to do, yeah. regardless of what's gone before. So it's actually being conscious about how we do what we do and what we need to do to move forward um, is part of the process. So I know you were a management consultant because I was a leadership consultant, so we have a connection there. So we both would have been working in corporate or wherever sector we were working in the UK or abroad, whatever that might have been. What made you go, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to change my career, change my life, get into property as a business because it's polar opposites Mm. it's going from a real corporate type mindset which is one thing to an entrepreneurial mind flow very different polar ends of a spectrum Mm. what happened so my background is branded marketing and sales um, and I went from being um, in marketing and sales in the drinks industry and financial services into management consultancy so I'd spent about seven or eight years in um, branded goods, then into um, 10 or so years in management consultancy. And that was great. Mm-hmm. And then, um, not what I was expecting, but we had a family. Yeah. And then that's when things kind of got tricky because I've lived for a, a long while in Surrey and, and commuted into London. And for anyone who's been a management consultant or works with management <laughs> consultants, know they do very, very long hours. Yes, and quite often stay away. 
Yes, yes. And it was, it's, it was the long hours um, with bringing up a young family that wasn't really compatible and also commuting into London, yeah. which made it, made it pretty difficult. So I could really feel that I was uh, straining at my sinews. You know, I was, I was really um, at my limits when the kids were younger and trying to, to do this management consultancy role. And I knew I needed to get out and do something different. And I'd had a number of conversations with colleagues, friends about property. I developed a bit of an interest in property. We'd done a couple of extensions on our home. Um, I'd first got onto the property ladder when I was in London. Um, I bought a three-bed, my very first property, uh, bought a three-bed flat and and did a -a rent-a-room scheme where you rent out one of the rooms. And that funded um, or helped fund me when I was... 23 buy a property um in london which was in alexandra palace um, nice. which is actually an up-and-coming area and I, I i ought to go back and check what the value of that would have been that i hung on to it, you may is, upset yourself yes yes so um i'd i'd always had an interest in property i i knew um people in property and i thought you know what in management consultancy doing really really long hours the fees are very much linked to the hours you put in. You know, you're billing clients. Obviously, there are there are different premium rates if you're, you know, one of the high-profile boutique consultancies or global consultancies or you're a specialist. So the, the fees are very much linked to the hours that you work. And if there's a commitment to delivering a project on time with a deadline, you know, you've got yeah. to work all the hours yeah. God sends to, to, to deliver that because that's absolutely sacrosanct. So I thought there's got to be a different way of earning money where there's not quite such a strong correlation between time and hours. Yeah, time, hours in and the revenue you get. And for me, property seemed like a really good route. So investing in property, which I don't think is necessarily passive because there's always some involvement. I I actually don't think anything is passive because even... I've been on this journey since 2011. We had a, we was having a conversation earlier about routes to get to where we want to go. Um, I look at property, even if you outsource mm-hmm. and you leverage and you put it out to an agent, mm-hmm. you have to manage the agent. Mm-hmm. You have to. Mm-hmm. So there are more passive strategies than others. Mm-hmm. And you can outsource and leverage, I believe, other people's time yeah. by paying for their time. But you've still got to manage them. You can't take your hands off the ball completely. Otherwise, you're going to end potentially, it's not a definite, potentially you could end up in a, a tricky place. Yeah. And then things change. As we yeah, know, things absolutely. change. So there's lots of takeovers, yeah. you know, as the, as the industry consolidates. Yeah. So what was a smaller local independent letting agent, management agent who you relied on and did a great job can then get taken over by a bigger national chain who might not have quite the same service standards and then things can go wrong or with the hybrid model of of, of agents these days or online agents, you know, they don't have the same service standards. They don't do things in the same way. So if you've got into this comfortable situation where you've learned to trust one particular managing agent, change of staff, change of ownership, that can scupper that sort of passive income if you're not on top of it and, and have to, you know, make changes if if the service is falling below yes. where, yeah, absolutely. where you're expecting. I don't actually truly believe anything, anything is passive because yeah. passive to me is means you sit there and you do nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can do that in any business, whether you're leveraged online, outsourced. You've got to do something because you've got to manage something. Yeah, and you, you've got to make... You to minimise it. You've got to also have made the conscious decision to do that yes. and to, to to do the research or your due diligence and whatever decision it is that you're making, yeah. let alone the actual investment and then managing yeah. it or just checking in from time to time yes. if there is more of an arm's length one, but just checking in to make sure things are happening as promised. Yeah. So how did you go from... So you knew that, you knew you wanted to do something different. You knew you wanted to change time for money to something more leveraged Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so not a complete correlation of hours money yeah I mean how long did it take you how did you get there Um, I mean and was it your children that were the driving force was it because you you were a mum and you're going I want to spend time with my kids or well I I was getting to the stage where I I I wasn't having it all I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't doing the um you know, bringing up a young family and, and doing the city um, management consultancy bit. So 
I left being a management consultant and it was at the time when my children were starting primary school and in a number of primary schools for the first term when they go into reception they sometimes do half days yeah so yes. actually that's a complete disruptor for work life anyway so I knew I had to do something before then because they were only going to be doing a few hours a day for the first term so That was really just before um, my eldest, my son, was going into primary school and doing this part-time reception. And I started just working in a collaborative fashion with two of the ladies who I'd come across who um, were in property, so I could learn a bit about the property game. During those early years, when the the children were were doing sort of part-time reception. And then when, you know, they were on four days, I then thought, well, you know, I could set up, I've learned a little bit now about property. I could set up uh, my own business more on the investment side. And originally, I was going to set up the business with uh, one of the ladies who had an agency in Spain. And that was in August 2007. And when we were trying to sort of flush out the terms of how we were both going to make this work, it became apparent that we had very different expectations. So I booked an appointment with my, with the accountant to go along and set the company up, which was meant to be with me and this other lady. And then she just decided that, you know, because she had a Spanish age, she had a number of things, which is a completely different story going on in Spain. And, I ended up turning up at the accountants on my own, and the accountant said, "Well, so where, where, where's your other?" Um, and I said, "Well, you know, it's just going to be me." And it was a very, very uncomfortable experience because she had all the property experience. You know, I, I've got the marketing, sales, yes. yeah, experience, and for me, it was a perfect match because she'd been in property for huge number of years and and that was going to be a good combination so I felt quite naked going along to this (laughs) this accountant setting up this firm on my own Um, and so I say to people I didn't go up a learning curve I went up a learning cliff because I was setting up a business I was whilst I thought I knew about marketing and sales it's very different in a corporate world and advising big blue chip clients to actually getting into the nitty-gritty and doing it yourself. So whilst I knew about marketing and sales strategy, I knew about selling, you know, I, I, I knew how to do marketing plans and tactics and the rest of it, actually, you know, rolling up your sleeves, designing a website, writing the copy, learning about search engine optimization, social media, going out there, doing it, building a whole new network. I mean, it's just yeah. mind-blowing. And learning about property at the same time. So yes. my conscious plan <laughs> was that this transition was going to take about five years while the kids sort of grew up and were a bit more independent and then I could ramp up the business. But it's ended up being quite a bit longer than that. So the plan's always been there, but the timeframes are just really quite different. Yeah, I've, that that happened to me as well. I remember going into my first mentor in the first week of being on a VIP a mastermind and um, him saying to me what are your goals and I said I want to have a portfolio of 15 million pounds and he said by when I said the end of the year (laughs) (laughs) and I look back at that now and I've had a conversation with that guy since I look back at that now and I think how ridiculous must that have sounded certainly stretching very stretching (laughs) and um, exactly the same as you so I did my journey started in 2011 and I didn't at that point I did a very different route to you. I just basically threw the towel in, left the partnership that I was in with nothing, just walked away and then thought, okay, now what shall I do? I've got to earn some money. Yeah. You know, single woman, I've got to earn some money. How do I do that? Oh dear, that's been a journey. So ended up with in property and again, a bit like you, I'd done it all my life, but yeah. I didn't know it could be a business. Yeah. Every house I've bought has been an absolute wreck, absolute wreck. And I've refurbed them lived in them, sold them, gone on to the next one, which is sort of what we're programmed to do. You advance yourself through the size of your house. Well, if you've got ambition. Yeah. Had I known what I then, what I know now, I wouldn't have sold any of those houses. Yeah. You know, I mean, the last one I sold, which was in 
not that many years ago, maybe eight, eight or nine years ago, I sold it for 200,000. It was a little, little three bed terrace. And I thought, hey, I'll never go above that in my ignorance. It's just sold at 300,000. Mm. So it's done 50% of its gross value mm. in sort of seven or eight years. Mm. And I'm like, why didn't I keep it? Mm. I could have kept it. I didn't know I could. No. No. So, you know, I don't beat myself up about it, no. but I look at it every now and then and go, oh. But anyway, so, yeah, this journey of, like, time scales. So I started in 2011. I mean, a lot of people talk about the why and the – well, a lot of people talk about the why, which I would see as the purpose. And I do believe, for some of us, me, and I'm one of them, I knew I wanted to do something different. Mm. I yeah. knew I wanted to take control. I knew I wanted to be a leader rather than a follower. I'd never believed when I had a job that I was anything other than a number. Mm-hmm. And that's not me devaluing myself. That's me knowing that jobs aren't for life. Yeah, There is really very little security when you work for somebody else as an employee. Yeah, Because overnight they can restructure and your job's yeah, redundant. Yeah, yeah. But I also know that from 2011 to now, when we're in 2019, uh, so early part of the 21st century, because this is a legacy podcast... <laughs> Um, I ended up looking after my mum and my dad for about five years as part of that journey, which slows things down. But actually, doing what I did allowed me to do that. Yeah, yeah. So things don't have to be that dead straight line. We start here and we get to there and there's no diversionary routes along the way. Yeah, yeah. And and, and similar for me, actually, because a catalyst – so. You talk about you knew you wanted to do something different. I knew in my gut I had some business in me. So that's always been there, um, even when I was uh, working in corporate life and in management consultancy. I knew that it wasn't working in terms of juggling family life and the long hours. Yeah. But also, yeah, those unexpected things. My daughter, when she was one, um, had uh, a life-threatening condition. Right. And that just completely changes your perspective yeah. on life. And I I made a promise to myself then that I would be there for both of my children yeah. um, through all those sort of vulnerable years because um, I knew I, would, I couldn't do anything different. And so actually that's something that I am thankful for, that I, I honoured that, my internal promise, the promise I made to myself. So whilst my business journey has taken a lot longer than I was expecting it to or I planned to like you I've had a yeah. sort of little deviation along the way but le- these things in life they're, they're very valuable yeah yeah life happens we all learn the way I look at it and I'm probably not going to explain this very well but once you make a decision you can never get the time back that's passed yeah so the decisions we make need to be for the right thing at the right time you know I mean I'm not a mother so I don't have children but I had elderly parents because parents get old mine got old I was fortunate that they got old so how we spend our time doing what we do you know we we, my goal is not to live with regrets I don't have regrets um you know and I've been through a few things I don't have regrets because at the time I did everything I could do with the best intent to get me to the best result so the fact that my journey to financial freedom whatever that might mean has taken longer so what yeah I spent quality time with my parents Mm -hmm. the same as you did with your children yeah the spectrum but it's still the same yeah I I'm similar that I didn't want to have any regrets I mean I know that I've made lots of mistakes. Yeah, well, they're okay. Um, they're learning. Yeah, they, yeah. That's, we fail that's it. forward. Yeah, as yeah. the saying says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, made lots of mistakes, but I think being true to yourself is a far more comfortable mm. place to be than anywhere else. Yeah. Just on that, I wouldn't have asked this question at this point, but I'm going to. If if somebody's listening to this in the future, which they will be. <laughs> um, thinking about taking the step the leap because it'll be different for different folks what piece of advice would you give them taking a step into changing careers doing something different taking control being conscious about what they're doing and moving forward i i would say give it some thought yeah do reflect and weigh up the pros and cons and i suppose from my management consultancy (laughs) days 
actually writing things down, you know, like evaluation criteria. I mean, I, I know this sounds a bit sort no, of nerdy, yeah, but it's it. only when you sometimes write things down on paper and you, you sort of do the pros and cons of, you know, carrying on as I am, pros and cons. But, but thinking of criteria, what is it you want from life and what are the key things that you yeah. want to achieve? And if you put those down and then you, you, you put your options, you know, I, I can carry on as I am, what does that give me? Well, it might be a score of three out of ten. I make some changes and, okay, that's yeah. uncomfortable. It might give me a score of six or seven out of ten. It might take me several years to get there. But it is thinking it through, but not to the point where you suffer from um, analysis, analysis paralysis. paralysis. Yeah. Yeah. But you do need to give it some thought so you don't rush into it and give it some considered thought. You might not know all the answers, but then take a small step or a small couple of steps and just test the water. You know, there's nothing wrong with just testing things out bouncing ideas off of people that you know will give you sound advice rather than maybe some people who are close that don't that have quite the same ambition yeah, but yeah, but definitely. testing out with the right kind of people and and just trialing things i mean i suppose for me because i've had that time of working alongside these two ladies who had overseas property um, businesses that gave me a feel for what it was about you know sort of the the, the framework within which to operate and the property investment for us, you know, testing out and checking out what we were comfortable with doing. For us, it was, you know, a lower entry um, price point made us feel a bit more comfortable rather than yes. a high price point, which is what Poland offered versus London at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Although I do now um, help people buy high yielding property in London because there are some different ways of doing it. But at the time, I didn't have that knowledge or those, no. those contacts, yeah. that network. So, yeah, so I would say do think it through, not to the point of analysis paralysis, and test the water, you know, seek input and thoughts from other people, but but obviously digest that. You don't have to take everything as read that the people give you, but the people that you respect who are know are in the industry yes. or what it is that you want to yeah. do, get their thoughts yeah. as well. I've, um, I've had lots of thoughts about this recently because I, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I jumped ship. Mm -hmm. um, so I went through a circuitous route of... Oh, all sorts of stuff, forex trading, multi-level marketing, network marketing, internet marketing, and finally into property and thinking, oh, I found it. This is, this. I like this stuff. Yeah. But I went through because I didn't personally, so my piece of advice for listeners, I didn't know what was out there. Mm -hmm. Corporate, leadership consultancy, ex-accountant, ex-auditor, I didn't know this world of the entrepreneur. So I went through a very circuitous route to find out because I was testing I was testing what I didn't know, exactly as you've said. So I think my piece of advice for people that are thinking about doing it, we're all different. We've all got different personalities. We've all got different strengths. We've all got different opportunities in front of us. We start in very different places. Mm -hmm. Find out from someone what the choices are. Um, and I was fortunate enough a little while ago to be somewhere, and I suddenly realised there are over 50 opportunities to enter into the opportunity entrepreneurial realm of not having a job over 50 and I sat and I thought well I knew some of those I didn't know all of those mm. so I'm going to be doing something on that to okay. allow people to just here's your choices have a look at them do the analysis yeah. exactly as you've just said do the analysis do your pros and your cons do your how much have I got and what haven't I got and what's my strengths and where's my areas for development if I want a development or actually this is what I'm really good at how does that fit into all these opportunities. The things, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you're never going to be perfectly ready. No, um, definitely. But it's the 80-20 rule. If you're sort of oh, yeah, 70 or 80% there, yeah, yeah, you sometimes just have to jump. Jump. Yeah, I love the 80-20 for all. But um, I'll, do a, I'll do a separate session on the podcast for people for that because that just translates into every walk yeah. of our life. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So you made the choice to leave. You've done what you've done. Um, you've done it for the right reasons. It's taken you longer than you thought it was yeah, going to. Same yeah. as it has for me, for the right reasons. So what are you doing now? In terms of my business. So yeah. my business, um, Property Venture. And how many hours do you work a week? What's your day? What's your general day look like? That would be Because we're sitting here in a very nice hotel in London. Yeah. Having a conversation. Yeah. About life and stuff yeah. and business that is different to what you used to do. Yeah, I suppose. Um, oh, is there a typical day? I in in in, in in a week. So I can work 
9 o'clock through to sometimes quite late. But I like to get out for a bit of fresh air. So my lunch break is that. Sometimes I'll have a longer coffee break than a lunch break when I've got to get stuff done in the office. Uh, but I'm I'm out and about quite a bit. And I think I was saying to you um, earlier on, you know, I, I do quite a lot of networking coming into London. And I quite often find I've, I've booked up too much. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so doing evening networking, I, I try to do one a week, but it quite often ends up being more than that. <laughs> Um, I'm also part of an entrepreneurs group, which I go to every uh, couple of weeks, which is out um, sort of Hungerford way, which has really helped me in my business as well. So in terms of a typical, I don't know there's a typical day, but a typical week will involve a certain amount of, of, of work in the office, uh, following up on inquiries, you know, nurturing relationships, putting things in place for people buying, you know, I, I've, I've got... Um, Inquiries at the moment for buying in France, buying in Spain, investing in the UK. So it's 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 following through on on, on those because I've got developer contacts, so expats and entrepreneurs who want to invest in um, key cities in the UK. Direct with developer, I can help with that. I can help with packaged up um, investments, high yielding, already pre tenanted in the Midlands and up north. Um, I can help with higher yielding um, investments in London. So it's horses for horses for courses. What clients are, are, are looking for? So I'm, I'm moving those purchases forward and um, inquiries, and and the networking. So in the early days, I did a lot of networking yeah. locally, yeah. which was great for locally in Surrey, and that was great for building up a support um, network, and that was great. Um, and I also spent a lot of time actually nurturing relationships with journalists as well. So in the early journalists. days, yeah, because I was putting myself out there for um, talking about overseas property yep. and the rest of it. So I, I have had decent coverage in national newspapers and the trade press, the Sunday Times, Times, uh, Guardian, Telegraph, all of those papers providing commentary on overseas investing, a little bit on the UK, but mostly, you know, investing in countries abroad like Poland, Spain, France. So in the early days, what I was doing was slightly different from what I'm doing now, because I'm now much more active coming up into London and networking amongst the London property yeah. property scene. So there's been a shift of emphasis of what I've been doing in the, in, in the business um, over that time. And actually, you know, getting more known in the property circles. Yeah. And what's been lovely for me is, that, again, I didn't know that this existed. There's this, this whole female property community, which I yes. love. And they're, they're, they're very active in terms of the physical networking, but also in the social media space. So there's a group of thrusting uh, female property uh, pros in, on Instagram. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a, there's a big um, Instagram Network and I, I felt in the early days I was kind of missing out on that because I was very um, focused on marketing strategy. Okay, I've got my target audience defined. I am, or some people um, talk about avatars. Yeah, and I am hanging out in the places where they hang out. Yeah, um, saying things in those those places and doing things in that space to nurture and develop relationships and business. And so uh, because I was reaching out to journalists, I was quite active on Twitter because that's where journalists hang out and Facebook and LinkedIn because, um, you know, expats and entrepreneurs uh, to varying degrees are on Facebook in groups and, and LinkedIn. Yeah. And what I was missing out on because there's only so much you, you can, can do, do <laughs> I wasn't doing much on Instagram because I thought, you know, my target audience isn't really hanging out there. But what I was missing out on was this whole sort of female community that hangs out there. And so I suppose over the last 12 months or so, I've been trying to learn a little bit more about Instagram to the detriment, I suppose, of Twitter, because, I, again, I can't do both. So I've there sort is of kind so much of, you yeah, can do. Yeah. So been trying to understand a little bit more about how Instagram works and, and um, being more present there and possibly less so on Twitter. You know, I, I've had five or six years of, of doing some of that and building up rapport and have uh, been quoting the press a lot over the years, which has been great and actually has generated business. You know, when I've had well, inquiries... It, well, it's, it's public relations, isn't it? It's PR. It's, yeah. 
it's building your reputation and getting who you are out there so people yeah. know. Yeah. We can't stay silent and quiet and expect everybody to know us. Absolutely. It doesn't work. Yeah. It's contradictory. Interestingly, you're talking about social media. I didn't actually know we were going to talk about this. Okay. It's weird how these conversations go. So I've met, and the, and the women thing, I say the women thing, we are both women, clearly, but I've done a lot of networking exactly the same as you because it does give you connections. It does give you airtime, space, whether you're in the audience or whether you're talking at a, a property meet. But it gives you the connections and you can learn from it. You build relationships and there's a whole raft of other things that come from networking when you do it well yeah. and you do it appropriately and you choose what networking events you're going to. So mm-hmm. I know obviously you're going to one after this, but you choose which network events you're going to because they give you what you need. Mm-hmm. So with networking, you go in with your goals. You know, it, it's what we should do and it's not what people always do. But I have over the years, I mean, I've been in the room in property investing networking events and of, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, 100 people, there's about four or five or six women because it is a male-dominated industry, mm-hmm. or it's the it's it's men you see at networking events a lot. And over the last few years, couple of years, yeah. there are a lot more women appearing. Yeah, which is great. The, yeah, it's absolutely fabulous in the networking events. And this whole, I mean, there are a few specifically female networking events around, and networking female networking groups online which are great if you're a female and you're not quite as comfortable in male dominated environments because a lot of women aren't yeah um and social media you're absolutely right i was talking to somebody the other day female in business probably in her mid 40s she really didn't want to get onto social media and she was saying it was for the young people now i'm 60 and i'm thinking i've been on social media for years yeah, I I think there's a combination, isn't there? Because some women don't want to put their head yeah. above the parapet because yeah. they're, you know, possibly less confident. And, and certainly I've suffered from that because social media can be a real force for good. But also, yes. bad, you know, you, it's, as soon as you put yourself out there, you know, you're open to, you're vulnerable and you're open to praise as well as criticism and, and all of that's out there. And for me, I was quite pleasantly surprised at how many women I have seen at property yes. um, networking meets. Yeah. But there are very few female speakers. And I think that that a lot of um, women don't feel that comfortable doing the, the, the presenting. So there might be a number of them in the room, but not necessarily always presenting. And I think it's something that we all suffer from is the confidence of getting up there and, and, and doing it. Because I know I've been terrified of doing it, but just force myself to all the same see i love it i absolutely love it you love you love i love it yeah just love it presenting yeah Yeah. i love it absolutely love it i was made to speak and i'll do it i'll be there (laughs) i will be there i promise but i think it's it's a very important thing to do is you know people get to know you more yeah the the speaking thing a it's a way of raising your profile your building your reputation a and providing information about whatever service it is you're you're providing and people tell me this, and I'm like, I don't get this. People have a greater fear of public speaking than death. Wow. And I'm like, so you'd rather die than get up and talk in front of a group of people? I don't. For me, it's like, how does that even equate? Yeah. So you'd it's rather it, be in your it, coffin. It's illogical. Yeah, because every time we open our mouth, like us now, we're publicly speaking. Y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We are. Yes. You know, if you're in a in a group of people and you're talking to more than one, well, even when you're talking, I mean, we're talking one-on-one, but you're talking to two or three people, you are publicly speaking. Yeah. We already have the skills. It's just then opening them up a little bit. Yeah, well, so for me, I am more comfortable speaking to two or three people in a smaller group, but standing up in front of, I, I think it's probably because you're not getting quite the same you don't reaction. Get same, yeah. It's, it's the one way. I mean, even, even it's if it's an interactive it's like type presentation. Cold. You can't read always how you're going, no. you know, what it is you're saying is going down. Yeah, and you can only ever see, it depends on the room you're in. Yeah. Um, but, but the first time I was on a stage, it was it was hilarious. I have to laugh when I look back on this. So I'm on a stage, I've got spotlights at me. 
Oh, nice. And I couldn't see the front yeah, row. And I'm yeah. thinking, I ha- and it was really, really weird. Disconcerting. Because I couldn't see the front row. There was no eye connection, no connection whatsoever because of how the auditorium was set up. Weirdest experience. Yeah. Yeah. But it's only the weird experience the first time you experience it. Yeah. And then you learn the, the strategies. Yeah. Okay. I think, I mean, what from what you've said, I know we've, we are going to, start to wrap up it was interesting and i wrote it down just to pick up on for the listeners as well as for us two my question was what does your day look like and you said is there a typical day yeah. with a sort of question in your voice yeah and i think that is one of the joys of taking control consciously leading ourself and our business because actually our days become what we want our days to be yeah there doesn't have to be the routine of this to then to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to get on the train at 12 minutes past eight to get to work for five minutes past nine to have lunch at 12 we can make our days what we want them to be yeah and that for me the joy of that choice shaping your day-to-day life and your destiny yeah yeah it's just i think we should all do it and i know we we can't all do it but just if you're for listeners if you're thinking about taking a leap, doing something different, really think hard about the opportunities and the possibilities and the positiveness of the change rather than the negatives of the change. Yeah, it's change. Things aren't the same. Yeah. You know, we we change our network. Sometimes we change our friends, which is what happened to me. I lost a, a friend of very long standing because she didn't agree with what I was doing. Oh. Oh yeah, it was it was incredible. She, she her words to me were, "I don't agree with what you're doing, and I don't understand it." So I said, "Well, the two don't go together. If you don't agree with it, but you don't understand it, how does that work?" Mm. And I said to her, "Well, I can talk to you about what I'm doing, so you can understand it." She didn't want to know. Oh, and that went on for a number of months, and in the end, we parted parted our ways because she wanted me to stay the same. She wanted me to be who I was, who I had been. Mm-hmm. Which stifles growth. Uh, yeah, yeah, holds you back. It does. So I didn't want to be, I was thinking about this on the way up here this morning, completely different thought processes, but there's that um, analogy that uh, if you're in a bucket of crabs and one crab tries to get out, uh-huh. the other crabs pull them back in. Ah. So you've got to be a very strong crab <laughs> to get out of the bucket. <laughs> a crabby crab. Exactly, a crabby crab, exactly. <laughs> But you've got to be a very strong person to step out and step up and step over and out of the norm of your current place. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, are very uncomfortable with change and it yeah. makes them feel uncomfortable. They sort of get a nicky feeling and so they retreat back because that's more what they know and it's more comfortable. Yes. But not realising that icky feeling in your tummy means that you're trying something new and therefore growing. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you're stepping out your comfort zone. Going back to, you know, going up a learning cliff rather than a learning curve. I mean, I've been there. Yeah, that was an awful lot more than a Nikki feeling. That was was quite drastic. But I kind of. Coming out the other side. Yeah, well, I kind of. If I don't do it, I'll never know. You know, sometimes you. And I I never really um, mentioned that to anyone. And this has been one of my more personal interviews interviews or you know I I don't don't share much personal which is great but because I'm a chartered marketeer and a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Marketing there was that which I'm saying that because um, I don't normally go to um, the House of Lords but there was a dinner at the House of Lords which was for fellows of the Chartered Institute of Marketing and um, I I don't normally sort of share much personal stuff and I met this lady for the first time and uh, chatting to her over dinner and I explained about how I set up my business and this learning cliff versus learning curve. And she said, um, you went to the accountant and you set up the business, even though it wasn't with this other lady in business. And I went, well, yeah. She said, well, that's great. You still went ahead with it. And I'd not really seen it that way until oh, yeah. she Huge. until she said that. And so that made me think, oh, yeah, I, I suppose I did still do it. Um, but, yeah, sometimes we just have a very different perspective on things. And sometimes yes. it you know, someone else reflecting back things to you. It's like, oh, yeah, I hadn't, hadn't realised that that's what I'd done. But Yeah. Um, somebody sent me a message this morning because I mentor and, and I still mentor and coach leaders and I'm working more and more and more with women. And I'm mentoring um, a woman at the moment and she messaged me this morning saying, 
can I call you my renter friend? <laughs> and I laughed and I'm like, okay, I'm a renter friend with a sieve and a mirror. <laughs> because it's about sifting sifting the stuff and reflecting back so people can grow and develop. Yeah. And it is all about seeing it from different perspectives. Yeah. yeah. Because when you're in something, you don't always see it. No, you've got a different perspective, haven't you? Yeah. So when you get when you work with somebody external, A, they've got different knowledge, different experiences. They see things differently. They can reflect back. So I'm thinking, yeah, I can be rent a friend, but I'm a, a friend who will tell you the truth, mm-hmm. <laughs> which sometimes you might not want to hear but actually you probably need it and then it's absolutely your choice what you can do with the whatever it is that's being reflected back so that just made me laugh I don't even know why that comes to me today either so Louise I know we've got um your meetings your um networking meets coming up if people want to get hold of you so I know you're fluent speaker in French (laughs) well I used to be I don't know yeah we're really rusting now yeah yeah you'll get back there (laughs) you will because it will just come flowing back out from your unconscious (laughs) If people want to get hold of you, so you work with um, expats and entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs and time time strapped who can't always do stuff yeah. themselves or aren't always present. To so be able people to do it. leverage you, your knowledge, your network, your information, your yeah. stuff. Yeah. How do people get in touch with you if they want to get any more information? Yeah. So um, or how do they follow you on social media? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I've got my, my website property-venture.com. But yes, I'm I'm on. Um, social media so I'm on Facebook as louise.a.reynolds and I've got um, a property venture um, Facebook page I am now also on Instagram um, as similarly (laughs) louise.a.reynolds and I also have a property um, venture handle and LinkedIn as Louise Reynolds and Property Venture. So quite consistent, but the only difference is LinkedIn is Louise Reynolds. Facebook and Instagram are louise.a.reynolds. <laughs> um, love so it when we're, someone's we're, got the same name. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. I've got a funny thing I actually put in a um, presentation, actually, where um, I set up a Google alert on my name because I was getting press coverage at the time. I always wanted to know whether what I'd submitted yes. to a journalist has actually appeared in the in the newspaper. So I set up a, a Google alert on my name just to see if anything was in the press. It wasn't for vanity reasons. And then I started getting stuff through, obviously there's more than one Louise yes. Reynolds in the world, Yeah. Um, that um, apparently I died. Oh. And uh, <laughs> my funeral was uh, in Utah, oh. um, you know, uh, a couple oh, of weeks. God, no. It's quite disconcerting when you're sort of reading you stuff You read your own obituary, but, but it's not yeah, you. Yeah, it's not, isn't it? <laughs> but so, yeah, I mean, and that, that is where we have to sort of really make the effort to stand out from the crowds so that people know which yes. Reynolds you are, which yeah. Julie Holbin. Um, just as a recommendation, because I Google my name every now and then to see what comes up, and I'm very pleasantly surprised because there are... There are more Julie Hogpins in the world. It's yeah. quite an unusual name, but there are. Um, I've actually met one that lives in Australia, interestingly. But um, as a tip, Google your name, see what comes up. Because once things are out there online, you need to manage You need to manage your online reputation as much as you do your offline reputation. So Google yourself, see what comes up. Even if you're thinking about this, and I say this to a lot of people and a lot of people don't, and then it's too late, buy your domain name as in juliehogbin.com or louisereynolds.com or .global or whatever it is for you within whatever country you are and where you're listening to this, go onto LinkedIn, get your profile. Even if you do nothing with it, go onto Instagram, get your profile, go onto Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, whatever they are. Just get your profile because you may never use them. But if the day comes when you do want to use them and you haven't got them, you're going to be very upset mm. <laughs> because it's just most of these things actually don't cost you anything. The domain name will cost you a little bit, um, you know, and, and search out the cheapest places that you can buy them. The domain names will cost you a little bit. The rest won't. It's all free. Yeah. Well, I've I've trademarked Property Venture, um, and I've had that for yeah. about 11, 12 years. Um, and there are some lookalike versions of, of that. But, yeah, yeah, so it's a registered trademark. So actually yeah. registered, I mean, that costs, but, but it does give a, a, a level of protection. Uh, yeah. For people that got a brand name. Yeah. Um, and again, coming just back onto that on a, in a pure business function, there's lots of people that say they're trademarked and they're not. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking to somebody now who's um, publishing a book and they have been contacted by somebody to say, you can't publish that book with that title because mm-hmm. I've trademarked it. Mm-hmm. I saw it. I messaged the individual and said, 
check trademarks because you can check it at um, in the UK company's house. No, uh, yeah, company's the, house. The, the TPO, TPO. Pa- pa- patent office. Patent office. Check to see if it's registered because you can, you can find out. And the person that said they trademarked hadn't trademarked it. Ah. And I'm just thinking people say they do when they don't. So one of my companies is trademarked, logoed, trademarked. Um, it does cost, it's actually not, a, is it 220 Pounds? Depends on how many categories that yes. you want to register it under. Yeah, so it's it costs, but if you really think that your thing, whatever it is, needs the trademark, wants the trademark, you want the trademark, then then go through the process. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the one that I trademarked, which was business talks and workshops, I actually ended up getting a letter from BT because they were concerned, ah. and I thought that was really interesting. People watch this stuff. Mm. That's another story. But it's very interesting what goes on when you trademark something. Mm. Mm. They get notified. There's yeah, no, there are notifications. Yeah, they do notifications and, and yeah. BT will have lo- yeah patent laws. And it was business talks and workshops, but of course it's BT W, ah. and they it, they got notified. Mm. I was I sat quite pleased with myself. Um, so okay, so that's completely gone off track on what we were talking about. <laughs> hey ho, useful piece of information for somebody if, when you get to the end of this podcast. <laughs> So um, I'm going to say thank you, Louise. Thank you for sharing. I think you should share your personal story more because you will inspire people. Well, it's yeah, it's um, it's been great talking to you. <laughs> to you, but I yeah, I don't know what it's going to be like when I listen to it back. But um, it will yeah. be fine. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, nice of you to to invite me on. So it's been great to. No, you're more than welcome. Part. So thank you, listeners. I'm going to say goodbye to Louise now. She's going into a networking meet. I'm going home to pack to go to Portugal for the weekend yeah. and finish my to-do list because there's things on it. So um, thank you until next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Conscious Leadership Podcast. You can contact Julie on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest and hear me out. Please subscribe to her YouTube channel for how-to videos and more content. And please message Julie to have your questions answered. Until next time, remember, knowledge plus action with a plan creates magical results. See it, say it, write it, believe it and achieve it.